Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, I want to welcome you to the show once again. And so today I have an awesome guest. His name is Avik Sam. He's a biomedical innovator and the chief medical officer of eFarmix. He's also known for starting an incubator called Sling Health, which started off as Idea Labs, where biomedical engineers start up new companies and just try out new things. And a lot of interesting companies have spun out from that. So I want to open up this introduction to Dr. Sam so that he could round it up and maybe fill in some gaps that I may not have covered. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. I guess to round it out, I'm in the MD-PhD program at Washington University uh, in St. Louis. And through that program started Sling Health, which actually now has spread to a number of different medical schools across the country through our partnership with the American Medical Association. And then eFarmix really started off first as a research project through Sling Health and then was essentially this goal, as you mentioned, about patient outcomes and really disease-specific patient outcomes and creating technologies to improve that. And so we are functionally a communications startup, and we've run about 10 clinical trials through the university and now have actually implemented across 10-plus healthcare systems our innovations towards improving patient outcomes. And it's been a very exciting ride. That's very interesting, Avik. And so would you say, who's your main customer? Not actual customer, but what is the prototype? Yeah, the prototype customer for us really is an ACO, either a, usually it's a healthcare system that right now is focusing on this transition to value-based care. So this fee-for-service to value-based care model that we're seeing throughout the country, really eFarmix is being brought in, one, somewhat as a consulting group. So along with one that actually has validated a series of interventions. I mean, just for your listeners to give them a little bit of background on what eFarmix is so that it makes sense how it actually applies. eFarmix actually develops and maintains a library of different disease-specific interventions that are communication tools using very broad-based infrastructure. So in this case, text messaging, phone calls. And then we've determined the correct questions to ask to be able to get a patient's blood glucose or hemoglobin A1C down by a point within two months, or for a patient with COPD hospitalizations to get their disease-specific hospitalizations down by over 50%. And we do so by actually closing that loop between both the symptomatology that's important for patients and getting that information to care managers as well as physicians. And so our target customers are often groups that are either payers They either have care coaches or care managers that are trying to manage these chronic conditions, and they need often, they either have a telephonic role that already exists, or they see patients in patient, but there are these long gaps between seeing them. And so eFarmix really fits in that niche, and we approach it by saying, essentially, where are the economic incentives that already exist? So either whether it's risk shared contracts, or even just getting patients in the door, as well as the disease-specific outcomes, that patient outcomes, and how do I improve value and care for the patient. That's excellent, Avik. And so really you're layering in the financial incentives a lot because at the end of the day, the hospitals have to make money. So you you guys are doing something really neat where you're tying together the outcomes-based medicine with the financial incentives that exist and you're helping create an alignment with that to help the adoption. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we've noticed is that every organization is different. They all have different sets of contracts. They have different metrics. And when we've 
developed each of our systems, we've developed it around often a host of different potential outcomes that in particular that are economic incentives, whether that be HEDIS or STARS metrics, whether that be actually risk shared contracts that are directly tied to elements like hemoglobin A1C, or even often we can tie it back to some fee-for-service models like chronic care management codes. And so we actually go through with the hospital and say, where are the biggest needs in your population? And by the way, we already know that these are the economic incentives that you can take advantage of now to help that population. And that this is how and what you can expect to see. So we can skip that pilot phase and go straight to improvement. I love that. And Outcomes Rocket listeners, really, you know, it comes down to being able to tie your economic incentives with your outcomes improvement projects. As they say, without margin, there is no mission. And just by doing that, eFarmix is able to connect the dots. So, you know, I, I had the opportunity to meet Dr. Sam at a meeting, and I just couldn't help but just get enthused by his passion for what he does. And just, I was uh, invigorated by our conversation when we met. And so I wanted to ask you, Dr. Sam, why'd you decide to get into the medical sector? So it sort of, that really goes back to me, why I decided to become a, in a physician. And then from there, really going into this healthcare industry. So I was really excited about how to innovate. I love the concept that biomedical innovation was this sort of untapped field, right? So we would look at healthcare systems and they're about 10 years behind anything we see in many ways, commercial tech industry. And so it just seemed like this goldmine of elements. And growing up, I, I realized that to really make a change in the healthcare system, you have to be in the medical sector and you have to often be a physician to make those choices and really have a shared experience. So that's really I moved into the medical sector to be able to be part of that. And I think from a broader spectrum of like, where should we spend time? Ultimately, health is one of those cores of our society. If you're not healthy, you can't do anything else. Totally. And I think for many of our patients, they have these illnesses that are really debilitating by being able to help them actually get back to meet their goals, stay out of the hospital, stay out of the ED, have a better quality of life. They can become productive members of the society and really help raise the tie, uh, boats for everyone. That's so I've been very excited for that. So it sounds like you saw the potential to make improvements. You sort of the optimization mind and you kicked in and you realized <laughs> I got to be an insider in order to affect change. And that's sort of what brought you in. Absolutely. And I think what we've generally found is Medicine is a very hierarchical structure, and you're dealing with individuals who have done 15 to 20 years of training to get to where they are. And so being an insider means both having that experience, but also being able to connect and have that trust that what we've built makes sense for their patients. So I think that's been, eFarmix was built many ways from a physician's point of view. And so we have over 80 different both medical students, academic faculty, community providers, nurses, care managers who have actively built eFarmix. So this is really an insider's game to how you would improve healthcare outcomes. That's awesome. So, and you know, Avik, I see so many companies and just trying to tackle this risk-based medicine and, you know, risk sharing. And I feel like there's a lot of gaps. And just because you guys are building it from the inside, you have the opportunity to really maximize the interests of the clinicians, maximize the interests to the deepest levels. And the uniqueness that eFarmix offers is is that insider perspective. Absolutely. And I think when you look at this field, there are a number of companies that are popping up and you can actually sort of differentiate them many ways by their founders. So you have companies that are started really by patients. And what they're really looking at is, is patient education, is patient satisfaction modality. They're fitting that niche and it's beautiful but it's not very operational. It doesn't necessarily improve outcomes, but you're coming from a patient's perspective. So you don't necessarily know how the disease works. And then you have groups that are 
in many ways, hyper-specialized. So it's a surgeon that works on a particular subset of the sets. And so they develop an intervention for that particular surgery. At eFarmics, because we started both by medical students and sort of general physicians, we had this extremely ability to do a big breath. So we have both medical interventions, psychiatric interventions, maternal health interventions, and surgical interventions. And I think one of our customers brought this up in a beautiful way to like, how does it differentiate? eFarmics is very operational. If I need to improve diabetes, control I want to get both blood glucoses, get that information monitor, and titrate up those medications. That's what really eFarmix does. Whereas most interventions in the health IT space are very one-way, and they're very much about, I'm going to educate people to eat better. And although that's really important, it's very hard to do that by solo a text message that's one way without a human connection. And you definitely can't titrate medications like that. That's really interesting. And so if you were to say, what is one thing that people sort of say, wow, like I I did not know that we can do this when they understand the capabilities of eFarmix. What's that one thing that is like the aha moment when they say, I get this, I need to use this? That they can control diseases faster. I don't think there's this understanding that you can do it. So we, just as sort of a background, healthcare was built as an acute care concept, right? You got sick, you went to the doc, they gave you something, and then you went home. And so chronic disease has sort of been this placement on an acute system. And so we see patients once every three months, once every six months. But the pharmacokinetics of most of our drugs work much faster on the order of days, if not hours. And so one of the beauties of eFarmix is that people don't realize, or one of the common things that we find is that healthcare executives and physicians don't necessarily realize that a patient will actually give them answers almost immediately if you just ask. And there's not time to ask. So eFarmix really connects and closes that loop by asking based on the pharmacokinetics of the medications. And then by summarizing that information and providing it back to the care manager or the healthcare team at a reasonable rate, we don't generate alert fatigue. But then we, at the same time, we're able to titrate medications much faster. So rather than taking a year to two years to get a patient with diabetes under control, it takes us six weeks. Huge. I think that's awesome. And I'm looking at the list of all the things you guys do right now, your capabilities, asthma, breastfeeding, COPD, decolonization, diabetes, the list is long. And it looks like you guys are developing a long list too. So I don't know how you guys do all of it, but (laughs) it's pretty impressive. And I think I'm really excited to see this thing really uh, start spreading because it sounds like you guys have the capability to really do what we're focused on in the show, which is improve outcomes. Absolutely. And I think one of the, the nice things that we've seen is because we have this sort of systematic platform view, what we generally find is that healthcare systems, when they approach value-based medicine, it looks like this giant black box. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult question. It sounds sexy, but it's hard. And so what we generally say is like, okay, we're going to dial this down to particular disease states. How are your diabetics doing? How are your patients with heart failure doing? How are your new mothers doing? And after we go through the checklist, we find out, okay, it's actually in this healthcare system, diabetes is a big problem. And then generally we find the economic incentive matters that already exist within that healthcare system, whether it's a risk-shared contract, whether it's a fee-for-service, chronic care management, et cetera. And then from there, we start building out the implementation for that group. So I think one of the, the exciting bits here with, with all of these groups is everything's doable, but if you take it in a bite-sized piece, you can sort of do a disease-specific, and then we see it grow. Because providers start using it and they say, you know what, I have diabetic, but I also have this patient with hypertension. I also have this patient with a COPD or heart failure. And, or so many patients have depression. 
I can use this. And so we see this organic growth within the organization, but it's so much easier for physicians to tackle it one disease state at a time, to build it into the, that cog. I like how you guys are demystifying it. It's really awesome. Taking the black box and adding some handles to it, some definition so that people could actually get going with it. And so as we dive into some of the detail here, Dr. Sam, what would you say a hot topic you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And what's eFarmix doing as an organization to approach it. And I think we've touched on it quite a bit already, which is really value-based care. Mm and figuring out that strategy from fee-for-service to value-based care and how are you going to actually actively do it within a cog system that was built on services. And I think we sort of touched on but eFarmix is really approaching it as every organization is different, so we will work with you to figure out what incentives make sense going from that fee-for-service to value-based and then growing within that. And I think what we've generally found is that you take a disease-specific approach. And the reason I say disease-specific is that many healthcare providers sort of think in terms of diseases. So they have a patient with COPD, they have a patient with heart failure. That's a much easier question to tackle than to say that I'm going to just tackle medication non-adherence or I'm going to tackle non-compliance in XYZ because that's a very complicated system. And it's very hard from a physician's point of view to say, well, why is that? Or how am I going to tackle it? Instead, if I say I'm going to improve this patient's diabetes, it's a nice focused, I have interventions, I have pharmacology, this is in my toolbox. And this is just one more tool to actually accelerate and really make it efficient. I think what we've generally found is that in the population, patients are not really treated to gold. It's difficult. And by using eFarmix, we're able to collect both quantitative and subjective metrics that we can use for predictive models to say, this is a patient you need to touch now. This is the patient that needs help at this moment and really making that physician interaction more efficient or care manager interaction more efficient. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And as you guys maneuver and do the work and the research to back these things up, you guys are seeing it work. You're you're starting to see some real progress. But somehow, somewhere, I know you guys have probably had some failure moments. Can you talk us through that? Because I feel like we often learn more from our failures than our successes. Can you take us through potentially a moment that you went through? uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think when we were first developing EPX heart failure. So just for listeners who may not know, um, obviously heart failure is one of those chronic conditions that everyone's very worried about. And functionally, in telemedicine, heart failure has really been tackled through this concept of Bluetooth link scales pretty extensive monitors that cost anywhere from 4 to $40 a, a day to place it in. So actually, when we originally approached the problem, we were like, you know, we have the system, people can get scales that are much, much cheaper. And in fact, there was this issue of these devices are so expensive that home health services could only provide them, in this case, just to the city of St. Louis, mm-hmm. even though the catchment area for the organization was about 300 to 400 miles in radius. So you had this huge number of patients who did not even get access to it. And so when we originally built it, the number one thing that everyone thinks about in heart failure is trying to catch water retention. So when basically this person goes into an exacerbation, the heart is not functioning functionally, and we need to essentially give them diuretics or we need to titrate up their blood pressure medications. And so everyone's watching weight. So they make people stand on these scales that weight goes back. And then if the weight starts rising three pounds or five pounds, it generates an alert. That's the classical method of doing this. So When we started, we're like, okay, we're going to replicate that concept. I'm going to ask patients, give me your weight, and we'll go from there. And the big mistake that we found was that patients, one, don't generally know their dry weight. Two, it turns out that you can eat about two to three pounds in meals. And 
what we'd find is that there was a significant amount of false positives. Yep, um, a lot of false positives. I was just thinking that, yep. Huge amount of false positives. In fact, what we found, so we would ask both subjective questions and the objective weight question. And one of the things that we found from our clients is that because we're so used to this concept of I need a weight, I need a kilogram, I need a, what is the value, that they would very much ask for it. And we would obviously have the service available. What we generally found is that it would give them a tremendous number of false positives because patients would eat a little bit or they would type in the number wrong or they would not want or they have normal variations just in right. the day. Or my, they don't know my weight, weight varies five pounds. Like I'm, I could be, it's drastic fluctuation, but I'm, I'm right. healthy. But if I asked a patient, do you feel like your feet are being more swollen or do you feel like you've gained weight? In fact, when we saw patients in the ED where we were sort of doing a lot of our primary research of like, okay, patients are coming with healthcare, uh, heart failure exacerbations, what's going on? The questions that we ask them is that we don't get a log of weights from them. We find out how many pounds do you think you gained over the past week or over the past or two weeks? And they'll tell you 5, 10, 15, 20. And it doesn't really matter more than that they're noticing that they're getting a weight gain that is abnormal. And then that's always associated with dyspnea, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, these symptoms that we found that were much more sensitive to actually saying that this person is having a heart failure exacerbation. Rather than taking the actual weight, you're asking a subjective question about if they feel like they've gained weight. And so did that transition lead to better decision-making data or what, what, like, what was the it outcome reduced, here? It reduced false positives to the degree that we reduced alert fatigue tremendously. So these were all care managers and providers who were really used to constantly getting alerted or person's weight's gone up and really constantly being frustrated that that's completely irrelevant. And so what we ended up finding is that we could dramatically reduce the number of alerts that went out that were unnecessary. And by doing so, we actually were able, because at the end of healthcare workers are all human too. And so they have a limited amount of time they need to work on particular patients, it dramatically helped the amount of time they're actually able to treat those. And more importantly, I think it actually increased the scale that the system can be used, right? So now I can give it to patients and they don't need a scale. Because that was the big gap, right? You couldn't reach exactly. the people outside of St. Louis. So now because of this subjective feedback that you guys have found is more effective in figuring out what's going on and you don't get the false positives, you increase access. Exactly, exactly. And granted, you know, we found that we can continue to bring weight and we give that technology a feasibility. But I think one of the big things we learned was just because the entire field did something the same exact way doesn't mean that we need to do it. So you like stumbled onto access. <laughs> yeah. In a really awesome way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I think one of the beauties of eFarmix's heart failure system now is that it can be implemented and it can be implemented broadly and you can get pretty much the same results as you do with a much more intensive Bluetooth monitoring device system Very um, interesting. at reduced cost. Very interesting, Dr. Salman. And so Outcomes Rocket listeners, if you have any curiosity or if you want to start now, what is your goal of improving outcomes at your facility? If you're a provider, if you're a, a med device company, what types of risk sharing programs can you put together? If you go to epharmix.com, they have a list of categories that they're already working on. And I would say start now, pick one of those and start now because perfection is the enemy of execution. And so if we wait and wait until we have a perfect plan, then we're never going to do anything. And so I urge this group of listeners, these influencers that are listening to us, Dr. Sam, to reach out to you and pick a module and run with it.
Absolutely. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And so what would you say, what are the proudest medical leadership moments you've experienced to date? I think twofold. We have something called the Pharmax Research Center that we sponsor at WashU. And so I think one of the, the proudest moments I've had is seeing these over 60 faculty and students generate the actual valid research behind it. So in many ways, we've already perfected the product and we've validated it in the academic setting. So what I've been really excited about is we've had faculty get promoted over our use of the service and development. We've had now grants coming in for that organization. But then I think the most exciting thing is then seeing from that research, having commercial leaders, community leaders come in and just fly with it, skipping the pilot stage, running straight into and saying, you know, this is our population. You've targeted and been able to actually help the hardest population. So I'm just going to implement across the system. And so from a medical leadership point of view, I've been very excited, the ability to lead and organize this very large group of diverse healthcare. As you mentioned, we have a very broad portfolio. But then actually seeing it come out in the community and working with community physicians and leaders to really make a difference. Dr. Sam, that's so great. When innovation comes into play, you know, I think we spend so much time in the sandbox and, you know, the sandbox doesn't help improve outcomes. You guys are just took off. You're able to leverage the organization. People have bought into the idea and they're running with it. They're even skipping the pilot stage and just saying, hey, let's we see how this works. Let's just run with it and improve the outcomes. And kudos to you because it really takes a vision and really true leadership to be able to get all these people uh, tied together under this vision and to start applying it. So congratulations. That's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. We've been plenty to go. I'm hoping some of your listeners will be excited too. Absolutely. And so let's pretend you're building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 course or the ABCs of Dr. Som. And I'd like to write out the syllabus with you for this course. I'll ask you some questions. You could answer briefly. And then at the end, the book that you would recommend as part of your course. Are you ready for it? Absolutely. Go for it. Awesome. So what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? To be disease specific. I think the best way to improve is to say, what is it that my patients have? Who are my patients? What diseases do they have? And being very, very specific about which groups of patients and that specific disease-specific outcome you want to improve. And by doing that, it's really allowing the healthcare system to run in a way that it's done for years. And so uh, we found that that is a much better way to get things started than to say generically, I'm going to improve healthcare outcomes. Love it. Be disease-specific. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Choosing intermediate outcomes that sound nice and broad and helpful, but actually might cause issues. So for instance, one of the classic things that we hear a lot is groups that want to improve medication adherence without paying attention to the, let's say, downstream outcome. And so one of the issues that we've had that we see, and I think it's a hilarious kind of story and kind of sad, that say you wanted to improve medication adherence for a patient who takes insulin or who takes a hypoglycemic-inducing drug. So if you suddenly increase adherence without actually paying attention to blood glucose values, you can actually over-medicate someone. And so what we've found is that there's a number of different groups that have sort of tackled this question, okay, I'm just going to give medication reminders, I'm going to get people up and running, very, very focused on this intermediate goal for trying to help improve diabetic control, but they never looked at blood glucose. They never looked at how the actual downstream outcome is. And as a result, you end up have patients who actually go into hypoglycemic phases because in an effort to improve it pharmacologically, 
we had been giving much higher doses than they potentially need of, say, sulfonylureas or insulin itself. So I think going, looking at it, it's, a, it's sort of a, an easy pitfall, which is to say, I want to improve just medication adherence without actually asking what's my final disease outcome. So for thing, for what we generally asked and we push for is that we judge our outcomes based on the final disease-specific outcome. So for diabetics, that's often hemoglobin A1C concentration levels. For patients with COPD or heart failure, it's them reduction going to the hospital. And we generally find that by doing that, we actually are moving the metric properly and hitting many economic incentives along the way. Beautiful. So just focusing on the outcome and not getting blinded by tunnel vision for trying to improve one particular thing, just having the broad view of the whole outcome. Right. Or specifically the the long-term disease, the outcome that the patient actually cares about, not necessarily the intermediate outcomes, I think is really important. Clear. Awesome. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I think that's has to be twofold. One is with the variety of economic models that are coming into healthcare, we are constantly building our systems and how they're implementing the economic incentives that are built blended per organization. So we have our little handbook. We know what are the big sets and we're constantly improving on that as we work from organization to organization. And the second half is research. And I don't think, you know, especially in healthcare IT, it's not been a common phenomenon, although groups are, are starting more and more. But it's actually taking the time to try to put out peer-reviewed publications to actually do the research and do the randomized controlled trials so that the systems that we built are not just based on hearsay, but actually built on underlying outcomes. Awesome. And what is one area of focus that drives all else in your company? In many ways, it's probably the same focus that drives many of your listeners. It's patient outcomes. And in particular, it's patient outcomes for everyone. And so we we make a very high approach to try to target patients that might otherwise be lost. So patients lower on the economic spectra, patients that are traditionally considered more difficult to engage because frankly, they have other priorities than their health. And so as a result, one of the most exciting things for the company right now is elements on substance abuse and targeting those patients. And we actually have this in tremendous amounts of engagement in a population that I don't think most people, at least most of our advisors and their thought would engage. That's great. Um, and the, patient, the patient's at the center and everything that you guys do is based on the outcomes of that patient. And that's the driving force. Absolutely. And so what would you say the book for the syllabus is? I thought a really good book is The Influencer. I don't know if you've read it. It's by Joseph Grenny, Kerry Patterson, David Maxfield, Ron McMillan, Al Switzer. But it's a great book about how in a variety of organizations, how you actually influence individuals. And so I think particularly for our listeners here, a lot of of healthcare change is, is convincing patients both to engage but then to take charge of their health, but also to engage with the providers and follow prescriptions, follow limits there. And so many of our questions and how we've developed the interventions use principles from the influencer to essentially make interventions where patients find value. And as a result, we have these stupendous engagement rates, but they're really because similar to the principles found in the book, we're generating things that patients want, that they see as valuable, as well as providers find as valuable. The influencer. That one's on my list, Dr. Sam. I'm appreciative that you mentioned that. And so as we go down the syllabus and round it off with this book, 
I think it's a course that I would truly like to take. So thanks for, for walking through us uh, on that exercise. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And so before we conclude, can you share one closing thought where the Outcomes Rocket listeners can get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I think despite the challenges in trying to get to value-based care, it's definitely a possibility and it actually fairly feasible. And I think similar to the, the interventions that we've developed here, we've found incredible success in being able to really optimize much of health and speed things up in many ways. So for individuals that are interested in, in getting in touch, you can reach me at avik, A-V-I-K, at ePharmix, E-P-H-A-R-M-I-X dot com. Feel free to see the site. Again, that's www.ePharmix, E-P-H-A-R-M-I-X dot com. Um, and take a look at our demo and see where out of the whole list where you think you can make a, your patient population needs it. And we're happy to share the research and as things come up where we're going. Really excited. That's fantastic, Dr. Sam. Really just want to say thank you for the opportunity for spending time with us on the show. I know that our conversation will really create some positive ripple effects in the way that healthcare leaders and influencers address their biggest problems in their pursuit to improve outcomes. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Get excited for Health 2.0's 11th Annual Fall Conference and save $100 with this promo code, FALL17ROCKET. That's F-A-L-L 17-R-O-C-K-E-T. At this one-of-a-kind conference, you'll discover the latest innovation and hear the hottest topics and trends in health tech. Join 2,000 decision makers, including healthcare providers, developers, investors, and startups. As they gather to see over 200 live product demos, 100-plus thought leaders, and 10 new company launches. Visit outcomesrocket.com slash health20. That's outcomesrocket.com slash health20. And use promo code FALL17ROCKET to get $100 off of this outstanding and exciting event. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 